0: Let's go. My pleasure to welcome George to New York. Although I don't think he'll ever come again because um, his flight was delayed four hours last night, and I hopefully it wasn't more. It was five. <laughs> oh, five hours. <laughs> and uh, then he here I entered, there was an accident on the West Side Highway. So we've gotten George here in one piece, thankfully, and um, and hopefully the rest of the day goes really so. well. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, George is a pediatric surgeon, and I first got to know George when I entered this field because there was, this was there was all this talk of this amazing man who did these really finite dissections on um, epithelial and mesenchyme in the pancreas and separating them. And I thought, oh my God, I can never do this. And then I found out I was a pediatric surgeon. I am like, okay, he was trained to do that. So it uh, made me feel a little bit better. But um, So I've known George for, for a long time, and I, but I actually learned more from your CV. Yeah, it's a uh, Yes, he grew up in California. Yes, yeah, San Diego. San Diego. And then he moved to Harvard for both his undergrad and his MD. And um, then it was when he went for his residency, I guess, in, at UCSF, where he really was in probably one of the major pancreas, or the first pancreas development labs that really set up the whole field. Um, and that's where he really embarked on his research. Um, then I didn't realize he'd gone to... Um, Kansas City and then to New York. He yeah. was in NYU, so actually down, but very downtown. <laughs> yes. Did you ever come up here?
1: <laughs> uh, I gave a talk to the P.S. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so this will be the last time, right? <laughs> 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 and, um, but then, so he was in Kansas City, he rose to the ranks, and then in 2005, um, he moved to Pittsburgh, where he's the head of, or the, what, what do you call the chair of Chief of Pediatric Surgery and Surgeon Chief at um, the Children's Hospital in in Pittsburgh. And um, he's really, now his research has gone on to to characterize some of the best work in the signaling molecules that are involved in um, pancreas development and, and pancreas function. And he's also, I think another notable thing is he's got a really great team of young researchers um, independent researchers working with him now in Pittsburgh, so we're looking forward
1: to it. And uh, Thanks welcome. For Thanks for a really nice introduction. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to be here finally. <laughs> <laughs> <A mess. That's laughs> I was um, So yeah. So today I'm gonna. Uh, and it's funny. I did. It's weird that I'm so less focused on uh, embryology, development of the papers than I used to be. I really thought it was my life for years. Really. But um, there's a little bit of that in the talk today. But um, basically, uh, there are two two sort of very different topics uh, that will divide the talk in half. And the first uh, is my, my old friend, TGF-beta superfamily signaling, um, both in development and regeneration. And, and probably about the first third of this is published. The last two thirds of that is not. And then the second half will be this alpha to beta cell neogenesis thing, which is totally unpublished. Um, so just to go through the TGF-beta thing real quickly, the, the, the salient features of TGF-beta signaling to this talk are that there's, um us this is working here.
0: Oh, it's really famous, wow, okay. Oh, I can my that one. Yeah, if the light's been out. Well, that won't help this though. Yeah, a little bit.
1: Anyway, so um, there's these uh, uh, two, uh, type 1 and 2 receptors that bind ligand, them better.
0: The green button. Yeah, yeah, it is
1: better. Um, they bind ligand and then they activate phosphorylate and activate these, uh, Receptor based SMADs, which are going to be place and regulate gene expression. And there are, importantly for my talk, inhibitory SMADs and sugar SMAD 7 that can I- impact negatively on almost all these steps. So, uh, anyway, so uh, developmentally, uh, we showed that if you look at phospho SMAD 2 II and 3, which are downstream of activin and TGF betas, they're present in the epithelium, mesenchyme, but then what we noticed that was kind of interesting was that the um, so this is day 11 and a half of gestation in a mouse. This is day 12 and a half, just one day later. You can see how these cells are becoming uh, endocrine positive and how the pattern seems to change. This is consecutive sections. Uh, it seems to change. We, instead of having this more diffuse to the epithelium, you get this really nuclear-specific kind of localization of this phosphorylated smat, suggesting it's very active, and that persists here again in these, in these endocrine areas corresponding. Um, so that, that gave us a thought that maybe there's... Uh See, I wonder if I can advance with this. No. Oh, you no, I just put no. it No, okay. Uh, that gives the thought that there may be some role for these in endocrine differentiation. Um, we went. We then used a dominant negative TGF-8 receptor uh, type 2, so uh, 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 inhibitor uh, mouse that is under the metallothionine promoter, so uh, it's zinc responsive in a dose. So, so this is a stronger dominant negative than this, which is... Obviously, this is the normals. But you see there was an enhancement of endocrine differentiation. And we'll come back to this mouse in an in, in adult uh, for adult uh, model later in the talk. Again, supporting the idea that TJ beta signaling is maybe uh, important in some way to endocrine differentiation. Uh, furthermore, we, sho- we show that um, the amount of endocrine differentiation that occurs by E18 is slightly enhanced uh, when you uh, using a... Tamoxin injection at day 11 uh, to induce the Pdx2 uh, ERT and knock out Smad2 throughout the uh, to enhance the amount of endocrine differentiation. Um, so that's so, so that's sort of the developmental piece, and then we wanted to see if some of these developmental pathways were active in uh, later times. For example, when this regeneration uh, model is working. So here's a 60% pancreatectomy. Uh, do these are these. Pathways active, active, and also this concept of uh, ducts giving rise to cells I want to address uh, when we did this. Okay, so uh, the pancreatectomy is a pretty robust model of um, beta cell proliferation and regeneration. So here's here's a sham operated animal. Here's one that had under the sixty percent pancreatectomy, and you can see the BrdU labeling is is pretty strong in the islets. as a that's a compensatory growth. So when we looked at the s- Fosso smad staining, uh, strikingly actually, it's, um, this is well described, but it's strongly nuclear localized in baseline in the and uh, beta cells. Uh, then we saw kind of an interesting pattern where it became sort of s- sporadically diminished in some of these cells, and these are uh, p- corresponding sections, and you can see where the BRDU positive cells labeled with white arrows here correspond to weak or negative uh, for Fosso smad 2, 3 in the islets, in the black arrows, sort of, sort of suggests that the, the in order part of the di- dividing process may involve suppressing this, the activity of the SMAD signal. So that gave us some ideas about ways to then kind of, uh, intervene and see how uh, SMADs are working. Um, certainly, this is a SMAD 3 knockout. We did the same with a SMAD 2 knockout. They both had enhanced uh, proliferation um, after, this is the, the Lutermate uh, heterozygote, um, So there's, you do a pancreatectomy, yes, you see increased uh, um, cell division, but really striking amount of cell division when you uh, do it in a SMAD3 knockout. And, and SMAD2 knockout was similar. And we did not do the double knockouts, yeah. the, the survival was poor. Um, so we looked at the, uh, so this is the first time I'm going to talk about this SMAD7. So here's TGF-beta signaling in an islet. And then if we do a pancreatectomy, it was, we were struck by the fact that this inhibitor came on so quickly. And we were thinking that that made sense potentially if we're gonna say that the, the, one of the parts of the beta cell dividing is that Smad signaling is suppressed. Well, this would be a, a good way to do that. And it does come on in some of these cells. Here's smad 7 And these are sequential sections. What was interesting is we saw accumulation. This is, this is a well-described phenomenon in TJ beta signaling, accumulation of ligand when you've got inhibition. Um, for whatever reason, and that did seem to be happening in this, in this island here. But, but it
0: looks like it's in the upper cells, the smad
1: Oh, uh, we'll, we'll we get into we'll, that. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we actually, uh, with some, some collaboration from NIH, we uh, created a smad 7 to mouse and de- deleted it and showed that the, um, the, the, the amount of proliferation that occurred after penker checking was much lower suggesting that SMAT7 is not just there, but it's also sort of an important part of the, the beta cell division after pain protecting And let's see. Yeah, so this is kind of what we were saying. So these cells were, the only thing they stayed positive for these SMAT7 cells was um, pancreatic polypeptide, which I don't really understand, but um, they were definitely negative for glucagon, insulin, PDX. Um, but because of what was, we wondered how could that be, and we wondered, well, maybe they, maybe they turned off insulin. So we used a, uh, a label here, PDX3RT, gave them tamoxifen, labeled the, um, labeled the uh, beta cells, beta-gal, lineage tag, rather, not labeled, lineage tag. And it was interesting. So we see uh, here that the, um, yeah, these cells, were, this was the be- uh, an example of here's some SMAT7 positive cells that are insulin-negative but are labeled with the insulin, the PDX3ERT lineage. So, in theory, I guess it could be um, somatostatin. But in, in all likelihood, insulin cells that have become insulin negative. So, we were, it's not proof, but it's suggested to us that maybe one of the ways that beta cells divide is, is through a somat7 pathway, and that may involve uh, either a de differentiation, degranulation, some event that, where you don't see the insulin anymore. Okay, so that's the end of the published data. So here's the, um, here's that, that mouse again, that dominant negative uh, TGF beta receptor mouse. And we wanted to see what would happen when we did pancreatectomy in them. And there, surprisingly, there were, we expected there to be more proliferation than there was none. And um, maybe, you know, like one cell. So, so it was diminished for unclear reasons. We had some, you know, kind of hand-waving hypotheses, but nothing definite. And then to fall, to figure out, help us figure out what was going on, we did this, a BRDU pulse chase, analysis where we gave them BRDU for the first week, saw very few cells, you know, that were dividing after pancreatectomy. But then by four weeks, we saw how there was several cells, including these DBA staining ducts, seemed to be in and around these islets. And that to us suggested that something was migrating into the islet. Uh, so if you remember, that, so the way a pulse chase works is you give them BRD for the first week, but then there's no more BRD after that. So if you're seeing if you're not seeing BRD positive cells inside an island at one week, and you are seeing them at four weeks, they had to have come from the outside into the islet. Yeah, there's no other way. The other thing we were curious is what, these looked like they were, these ducts looked like they were inside the islet. Um, and that's, ducts can be in proximity to the island. They're not typically going inside the islet. But we really couldn't tell in two dimensions. so. Um, oh, here's a higher view of that I should show. That yeah, you, can kind, of, you can kind of see these kind of duct-like things, and, and there are some Brd positive cells uh, in the island for sure. Whether the beta cells was unclear, but, but either way, so we want to f- understand the anatomy of these ducts a little better. So, um, Yosef Elrohari in our lab um, figured out a nice whole uh, mount technique for looking at ducts. So here's a whole mount pancreas with the um, oops, with the uh, this is a normal mouse C fifty seven. This is this. Blocked uh, TGF beta dominant negative mouse. And you can see the duct anatomy, but the, you can also see how different it is in this mouse. And this mouse has been described for a long time. And uh, this is something you would never appreciate on two dimensional uh, histology. You just would never be able to appreciate it. But here you see how this funny kind of prune tree looked at the ducts. It was quite striking. Um, so now, armed with this sort of technology, we're able to go back and look at these. Um, Yeah, we were able to look at these uh, uh, pancreatectomized animals that didn't that didn't have um, cell division, these dominant negatives, But then we started to see ducks maybe in the islet, and what we're so here's after a week. Um, you see this here's the sham. There's no these islets are fine, but we can start to see these things that look like they're actually going into the islet. That's at a, one week, and then um, at four weeks it became quite striking. Where there's this, you can see the little twig branching off this main duct, and then there's this huge ramification uh, within the islet. And we wanted to confirm that that was in fact, um, uh, you know, inside the islet, and this is a little video. This is a, yeah, video. So this is a, this is a three D reconstruction confocal photomicrograph. You can see how um, the islet is, you know, it's purple, then we can fade it away, and you can see how these ducts are clearly all going through the islet; they're not just sort of around it, mm-hmm. which is quite striking. Um and almost more striking. Was the fact that by 11 weeks, so now about seven weeks after the one I just showed you, they were gone. Um, the eyelids are just back to their theirs. They just don't have any ducts in them. So, so the thinking was that about that maybe the the you know the, kind of the the neat thought was that maybe the duct cells were turning into eyelid cells, but that's hard to prove. And we spent quite a bit of time. Um, Oh yeah, I forgot to mention. We wondered, you know, maybe this is a normal process. You know, these are just weird mice that have dominant negative. So we actually went and looked at young animals, and they have it also. So here's a normal. This is the same strain as that dominant negative mouse, but it's just the background strain. And you can find these if between two and eight weeks. We found ducts inside of islets of this nature. We got a little twig feeding it, and. Um, it Peaked around five weeks, where about 40% of the islets would have a little little feeder in there. And remember, that you, I don't think people would really see this if you're just going by two-dimensional histology. It's this 3D kind of view that makes it so obvious and so clear that it's a duct. I mean, you can just see the feeding one, it, and it goes right into it. So, to us, there's something about this that we don't really understand. And it was true in uh, humans as well. This was a uh, in, this is a, a three-year-old uh, cadaver specimen we got at Children's mm-hmm. Hospital. And we looked at several of these, young and, and older, and only the young, the, the teenagers didn't have it. And the, this is a three-year-old had it. So you can see there's this, this stain here. This is a two-dimensional image. It kind of shows you the side of That DBA uh, stain that we use for ducks doesn't work in humans. Um, but this uh, CK, you can see now here's the three-dimensional where it's going in, and here's a confocal reconstruction of this islet here with a duck going into it, just like that. Um, So we wanted to lineage tag these ducks to be able to say did they turn into beta cells, but we tried for we tried several different strains that were touted as oh these labeled ducks great, none of them labeled ducks great. (laughs) They were awful, and even the the knock-in salt-sign creep ERT from Japan, uh, Mikey Sanders didn't work well. The the carbonic anhydrase one from uh, Susan Bonner Weir didn't work, and it was just a nightmare. But um, we did have we did. Come up with this kind of cool technology where we can infuse uh, virus for labeling into the pancreatic duct. So the way this works is um, you, have to, you have you do a laparotomy on the mouse. You have to clamp the bile duct because their anatomy is different than humans. Humans have a, a very early bifurcation uh, of the main duct to get, go to the pancreas. One going to the pancreas, the it goes to the common bile duct. But, but mice have a longer track, so it's kind of tricky. So you have to clamp the bile duct here and then just infuse into the main duct and you'll hit the pancreas only. Um, and here, here's a sort of a picture of the setup with a dissecting a mouse here do a little laparotomy. And then um, the, the uh, duct, so here's the, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but there's the, there's the duct going up towards the liver and through the pancreas. Um, this, is the, this is the clamp on the cannula. And then here on, on higher magnancy, here's the tip of the cannula that's clamped in place. So when you start infusing, and you fuse over about 10 minutes a uh, virus, it kind of, kind of billows out the pancreas but it doesn't go up in the And took, It gives a pretty good labeling. So here's an example of the, uh, if we take a SOX9, the other nice thing about this is we don't have to use ERT. So the, the SOX9 CRE ERT mice, they all have to have this tamoxifen sensitive system, which is very finicky dosing, all kinds of issues with tamoxifen. This gets around that because now you can just use Sox-9-Cree and there's two levels of specificity. The Sox-9 of course is, should be specific but also the serotype of the virus. They have different tropisms and this virus is highly tropic for the ducts. So it's kind of a double a double specificity kind of thing. And we'll use that later in the talk for, to hit the eye. But either way, so here's a, a, a tomato reporter mouse. So if Cre is active, it'll turn, the lineage of the cells will be red. And you can see this pretty good, uh, robust penetrance of where, like here's the DBA for the ducts. You know, they're, they're pretty well labeled. Um, we published this uh, technique and about 80, 90% of the of the, of the uh, main and secondary duct cells are labeled. And you also see more importantly, probably for this lineage tagging, is that there's really not leakiness. There's no other cells that are red. And we've been very happy with this, this system. So we use it in this, uh, in these intra-islet ducts and this is uh, you can see there's yellow cells here so so here's a so we did the we did the labeling and we did the pancreatectomy in these dominant negative trans tgf beta mice and we saw that the this is now uh, uh i think this is three weeks after but anyway so there are there are obviously tomato red duct cells you can see the feeding duct to this one that's labeled but they're yellow because they're also insulin positive so that was Pretty good evidence that these duck cells were in fact giving rise to, to beta cells. Um, so that's kind of what I said. Um, okay, so just changing gears a little to uh, this viral immediate alpha cell to beta cell conversion. Um, this is the, the idea of turn making new beta cells. In the last section, was from ducks maybe, but either way, that that concept is pretty pretty active in the beta cell biology field right now. Um, here's just some good examples of. Where they're coming from alpha cells, they can come from acinar cells, they can come from duct cells. There's a lot, of, and a lot of controversy how hazard, this could happen. Um, but we, we wanted to kind of, you know, use this viral system that I described to maybe manipulate the neogenesis of beta cells through that. So we took an approach where we used a virus, a different AV serotype. So the last one was six for ducts, eight kind of is better for acinar cells and islets. So we use this is all AV eight. And um, so it was, it was well characterized from Doug Melton's lab uh, several years ago that if you use these three promoters, I mean, these three transcription factors in three different viruses, um, and this was an adenovirus, that they would get the um, acinar cells would turn into beta cells. But we were kind of more interested, because of all the data that's accumulating about alpha cells turning into beta cells as being a potentially, you know, a real, a pretty easy switch, um, we said, well, what, what if, so let's remove neurogenin because they're already, alpha cells are already endocrine cells, and that presumably is what neurogenin 3's role is, is to turn them into the endocrine lineage. So they're already there. And um, taking out the neurogenin 3 also avoids um, uh, persistent neurogenin 3 expression in a new beta cell. We don't want it in there because it's not a natural thing for beta cells to keep making neurogenin 3, although, and it is natural for them to keep having PDX and MFA. And we wanted to have it in one virus, so we used this 2A system with 2A linkers along with a, a green fluorescent reporter. So this is our construct here in the AAV, um, AAV8. And uh, we did it in alpha-TC cells and worked well in terms of turning them into beta cells, so we went to AVO. And here's an example of how you see the GFP from the viruses throughout. The, this, the, the intensity is strongest in the aster cells, but I think that has to do more with the... Uh, protein machinery of the cell. Either way, this is, uh, this is the um, efficiency in the different uh, cell types of the uh, uh, virus transduction. So it's not very good for ducts, but it's very good for faster cells and for pretty good for islets. So that was kind of our baseline. And when we gave uh, the virus to alloxan treated mice, it, it, um, it was able to rescue them. So if you did an infusion of virus with only the GFP and not the PDX and Maffe, they were not rescued. And, this is the Aloxane given here and the IUV a week later, whereas they were, they were pretty much normalized when we gave the virus, so that was exciting. Um, we didn't know if this was necessarily the glucagon cell, the alpha cells that were trying to the beta cells, so we uh, used a mouse. Um, Chio in my lab uh, is, a, is a good mouse uh, genesis, and she made a nice uh, glucagon Cree knock-in um, that, ha- that has been very useful, and uh, actually a lot of labs have. have, have, have been using it and they're very happy with it as well. But basically, this is the this is the the uh, you know the tomato mouse with the gluconcree, So the, the cells that are uh, labeled should be um, tomato red and if, in, in glucon positive. There's a couple cells that are glucon positive, not tomato red, but I, we have not really seen any leakiness to the beta beta cell lineage at all with this. She initially made the first mouse she ever made in my lab was a was a transgenic. With a, a large 8kb uh, promoter, and that was that was had some leakiness to beta cells, so we got frustrated and said, "Let's just bite the bullet and make a knock-in," and uh, it's, we've been very happy with it uh, for, for now. So, so using that, we're able to show that um, uh, there's a lot here, but basically the baseline. Here's the baseline mouse, with, where the you know you see the uh, tomato-labeled uh, alpha cells that are purple, essentially blue for glucon, blue red for tomato. And then when we give them aloxan and control virus, we see that we lose most of the insulin cells as you would expect with aloxan. Still some uh, alpha cells around that are red, um, but we're not seeing any um, insulin-positive cells that are red. However, if we give the aloxan, and then we give the the pdx mafa virus, we see that lots of the insulin cells that have now grown are also uh, tomato-red, so they came from the group lineage. So that was convincing to us that we had in fact induced transdifferentiation um, of the alpha beta. So one of the, we sent that out in in, in the reviewer one of the, criticisms of the reviewers came back what if there was a de-differentiation event of the alphas of the beta cells so you, you you know you give the aloxan and there's injury and some of the cells uh dedifferentiate and turn on glucagon and then come back this is a real criticism. Uh-huh. And they said you, you really need to have a glucocortic ERT mouse, and give, you know, give it the tamoxifen. So at the time there was no such mouse, but also at the time we were about eighty percent of the way towards making that mouse, so that was quite convenient. <laughs> and it's a knockout. So um, so this mouse so now that was a while ago. So now the mouse is done, and we've got the data. So here so this is that's this is it crossed with the tomato. So it's the glucocortic ERT. Give it give it. Well, I'll just show you. So here's uh, tamoxifen-treated mice baseline. Um, We saw almost no red cells without tamoxifen, I should say. Um, So so it's pretty clean. So here's the uh, alpha cells. Uh, About 80% of the alpha cells are labeled um, baseline when we give tamoxifen. And this is, again, in the tomato reporter strain. And then um, when, we, when we do the experiment again, we, we were able to show the same thing again. So here's the here's the uh, tomato uh, yeah here's the tomato labeled uh, islets. Essentially, and they're all double positive uh, for the uh, the tomato and for the um, for insulin. Um, so I, so I think that, uh, that hopefully that'll suffice for here. Um So then we went to the NOD mouse. And it's, um, you know for, for those who don't know, that's a, it's probably the best autoimmune model of uh, type for type 1 diabetes in animals. Um, the, uh, there really hasn't been any effective therapy for NOD mice other than um, something related to immunosuppression and immunoregulation. Um, people have, I, I couldn't find anyone that's done neogenesis of beta cells in NOD mice. There's been uh, various uh, peptide treatments and whatnot, but it's not real neogenesis probably. Uh, I could be wrong. But um, but there was this paper from Myra Lippies way back when I remember it was so it was so neat when this came out that she just engineered pituitary cell lines and pituitary cells and transgenics to s- express insulin and um, though in an NOD in an NOD background those were not they didn't undergo re- rejection otherwise words, the autoimmune system didn't attack those cells so just making insulin wasn't wasn't going to make you a, wasn't mm-hmm. a problem but obviously these aren't weren't very good cells in terms of glucose metabolism you know the pituitary cells and a eight twenty cells something like that and they, they, just all they did is make insulin. So it wasn't proper sensing, all that wasn't going to happen. But anyway, so we, we did do the, the we use the same system with the NOV mice, this is just showing how the virus infects the NOV pancreas perfectly well as the control or the uh, transcription factor virus, the virus. And um, when we treated them, they, they got better, just like the Aloxan ones, so here's the, here's the uh, we wait till they, we start to see onset of uh, hyperglycemia, and then we treated them. When they would get to around 200, and the control virus, those mice all just died. These all normalized, and um, and then, but but after about four months, they went back up again. We we still haven't quite figured out why that is. And um, the beta cell mass was greatly enhanced. This is about this beta cell mass is about 30% of what a normal mouse would have. So it's not sort of not normal, but it's the. curious as to what was going on. So we looked at the eye. Uh, this is a normal NOD. This is what a normal NOD uh, pancreas looks like with these are all the immune cells. There's some glucon cells and we well, know insulin cells. Um, and you can see there's the virus gene is present. These are green uh, cells from the virus. And, and just, you know, obviously the, all the immune cells are not green because they were not in the pancreas when the virus infusion It's not enough to get labeled or else they don't express the or, or else the virus doesn't attack them or something.
2: And then this was the
1: ones where we made new beta cells. And you can see there's plenty of insulitis, uh, but there's insulin cells sitting there. And um, uh, that to us said, well, for some reason, they're, they're not destroying them. Um, and when we looked at these cells themselves, a lot of them were double positive for insulin glucagon, suggesting, you know, we can't do a lineage tag in an MOD V-mouse, if you can, it's really hard, I don't know how to do it. But um, either way, this suggested to us that these probably were coming from the cells, since we saw these double positives. It's, it's very hard to prove in the so, so the question is, why are these neogenic beta cells not attacked? That, that, to us, was very puzzling. Um, we thought of two other possibilities. I'd be, be interested if anybody has other theories. Um, the first possibility is that somehow this virus treatment suppresses the immune system. Um, we thought that was unlikely because the control viruses didn't do that, but maybe, maybe something about the Maybe something, something somehow uh, did that, we don't know. And the other possibility was that these new cells are different enough from normal beta cells um, that they are not recognized. Um, so we looked into that and we did a doctor transfer experiments and saw that the, this is untreated, so they, oh sorry, so just to remind people, so these are basically the, uh, the, the spleen cells from the, the mice that we've been treating are taken out and given to an NOD skid mouse to see if they cause them to have diabetes. In other words, are are their T-cells, are their splenocytes (laughs) diabetogenic? Um, And the answer is, so clearly, without any treatment, they're very diabetogenic, as well with the control virus. They're less so here, but this is still pretty diabetogenic. So my immunology friends tell me that this is kind of like a a naive state. So 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 if you go to a very young NOD mouse that they are early in their development of uh, the autoimmune diabetes. They will have this sort of pattern where it's a delayed, but it's still there. Um, so, this the thought was maybe maybe these immune cells are, are not being actively exposed to antigen uh, because because of the viral treatment, and therefore more quiescent, and they have to be sort of reactivated by being exposed to antigens in the new mouse. Either way, it's it's definitely a different gen. So the other part was to look at the beta cells. So we took the islets out of these mice and put them in, in vitro with uh, known T cell lines that are di- biogenic and that will produce interferon gamma in response to seeing the antigen and they responded similarly, whether it was our islets or control islets. So if they are different, if these beta cells are different and they're not different enough that this assay was negative. Um, we also put the, uh, I, we took these mice that we treated and we did, we took new islets from an NOD skid mouse and put them under the kidney capsule of our treated mice to see if they would react to these new islets or otherwise normal islets that it should react to. And they did, again, a little slower um, than uh, you would expect, but it's definitely real. So here's the, here's the um, amount of, this is the insulin content of the graft uh, after a couple of weeks. And you can see there's almost none in the control device. There's a, a little bit here. Um, you can see a few scattered insulin-positive cells, but they're, for the most part, rejected. Again, this is along the same lines as kind of the naive uh, immune system. It took a little while to wake up. Because this is, this, is un- this is a normal animal. So that's, that's the graft insulin content if, you, if, the, if you put it into just an NOD skin, not an not a NOD. So this is obviously way less, 0.25 versus 5. This doesn't answer the question, just it's, it's curious. Um, we also, you know, I mentioned that four-month thing and why why that happened. We're not really sure. Uh, we did we did try a second dose. That's a little ill-fated because um, if you give systemic AIDS to someone, uh, they'll typically develop neutralizing antibodies to it, and you really can't give any more. But we were we were hopeful that maybe by giving it the virus only into the pancreas, that maybe that the systemic exposure and immunogenicity of that would be less, and we wouldn't we wouldn't get a response. And, for whatever reason, we only. Did, this is a kind of complicated experiment to do. So we did the second infusion of virus on four animals, and one of them got better, but the other three didn't. And, uh, yeah, so that's, so again, it's unclear what happened at that four-month time point when uh, it starts to lose it. All right, so, yeah, so that's the summary of this part. Um, so we wanted to move on to see if this if human islets could be similarly manipulated. we talked to people about, you know, is this something that can go to clinical trials if this works? And as well, you know, you want to make sure it would work in a human islet, you also want to make sure it would work, you know, the whole thing would work in a primate. So, um, anyway, so we took human islets and, and treated them with streptozotocin to, uh, kill their, uh, beta cells. And, um, this streptozotocin. uh, you know, I f- at first I thought, oh, oh doesn't work on human islets, but I think the high-dose it does. And we, I mean, we, we got criticized for that too, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that we were killing all these insulin cells. And I think the, the literature certainly is, is okay with that too, just in vitro. Um, uh, I think if you try to give it to a mouse with a in vivo islets uh, transplanted, transplant, it may not work. But it certainly works in vitro. So we kill beta cells, and then we do our viral treatment and see what happens. So here's the in vitro... So um, we have uh, the green fluorescent protein for, for viral infected cells, viral expressive protein, and we have uh, double positive cells. So these are, there's some, there's some uh, red cells that probably are residual insulin positive cells after strepozocin, and then there's ones that are double. So I think that the, I think they at least in principle we are able to convert the cells uh, into beta cells using the virus in vitro in human islands and then we put them under the kidney capsule of an NOD-skid mouse that got treat, treated with a Loxan, and uh, this is a control virus where there's not much um, insulin. This is probably residual insulin cells after the streptozotasin treatment, and there's lots of them in the virus-treated one. Um, so, so we'll, you know, not only did it work in vitro in terms of conversion, but it seems to be, I mean, they do, do fine in vivo, 3 and B3. and they function pretty well. Here's the here's Loxan treated mice that get diabetic, and then they're I would turn back to fairly normal levels with the human islets after, um, after uh, virus treatment. Okay, so the real question is, what are these cells? So, I, I, I told you about the meyer paper with the pituitary cells, okay, those weren't attacked. These things seem to be closer to a beta cell, but maybe not perfect, they've got some loop on there. So, in the initial submission that I told you about, they, we did, we showed this data, and I, I acknowledge it's not perfect. So we compared beta cells, pure true beta cells sorted from a MIP-GFP mouse. Totally different. Then um, the alpha cells, the, those are the red cells from a glucagon Cre tomato reporter mouse that's otherwise un, untreated, untouched. Those are red. I mean, so those are the blue cells. I mean, they're red cells, but the blue, blue uh, background. Um And then these cells, uh, are the tomato red sorted from the uh, aloxan treated followed by virus. And you can see they're different. So the, these are the c- converted beta cells for the most part. That's the problem with this. There's, this is also going to include if some of the alpha cells that didn't convert. That's the problem. That's why you probably see glucon here. Not really sure. But either way, the PDX was high. Math was high. Neridem was low. But it's a little flawed. So <coughs> what we, we don't have the, so, so the criticism was you need to do RNA-seq uh, on these cells. And I, it, they didn't pick actually. I don't think the reviewers picked up on what I just said. That this is these are contaminated. These red cells are contaminated with some baseline alpha cells. <laughs> but I picked up on it and I said, you know what? We need a better system. So um, what we what we did is we use a we use a triple. And I don't have the RNA seq data yet, but I, we do have the the mechanism in place. We have the mice. So this is a triple positive mouse. So it's glucagon tomato with Mip GFP all together. So this is cool because if if it's a true alpha cell, it's just going to be red. If it's a true beta cell that just happens to be still floating around, it's going to be green. But if it's an alpha cell that turned into a beta cell, it's going to be yellow because it's going to be red from this and then sars cov insulin becomes green. And sure enough, when you look at these baseline mice, so here's the green MIP-GFP beta cells and the red blue-concrete tomato alpha cells and there's no yellow cell baseline. When you do the experiment, you get tons of these yellow data cells. So pretty pretty convincing that we can now sort these. And we are, we're sorting, I was, was gonna say, the sorting data we don't have, a, we don't have the RNA-Seq yet, because we don't have, a, we gotta do a lot of, we have to do like 10 of these mice, is only one mouse here. So if we can see an untreated, you, you sort from green or red, and you see there's two separate populations, whereas when you sort for uh, the same, when the, after the treatment, you see there's lots of these yellow cells up here. And those are the ones we're gonna, you know, do the RAC line. So any day now. I'll have it. <laughs> so I also mentioned we need primate proof of principle. This is just the last little thing. So, um, so I did a, an autopsy on a, a, a cinnamologous monkey, and their anatomy is pretty similar to humans. Um, here's the little opening, like we cannulate like the mice, um, and they have a, but they have that same, they have the same as humans where the, the turnoff to the pancreas is very early. So I was able to put a catheter through there. This is this is an ERCP catheter. I'll explain that in a second. Um, and I inject some dye just to show how. Here's the pancreas. You know, I'm backfilling the pancreas with some dye just to show it. And what an ERCP. So if you if we were ever going to do a clinical trial with this virus gene therapy, you could do an ERCP. So it would be non-surgical. Uh, ERCP is a it's it's a endoscopic procedure. Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. And basically, what it is is they go through the mouth into the duodenum, and then they can cannulate the duct um, with a catheter like this one. And uh, backfill, and if the if the patient is big enough, probably has to be over about 10 years old, uh, they can selectively cannulate the pancreatic duct. These monkeys are too small, so I we tried doing one in, in a monkey. Actually, this ERCP, we had the guy come over, the GI guy, is really good, and he could not. He could only just get into the main duct. He couldn't cannulate the pancreas. Um, so I realized the only way I'm going to do this in a monkey this size is I'm going to have to do a laparotomy and open this up and put it in there and clamp the bile duct. so just like I do in the mice. You wouldn't have to do that in a human, you would just do the RCP. but for a proof of principle, I had to do this, It it's kind of painful. Um, the IRP on it is on the Anyway, um, so this is a, this is a um, fluoroscopic uh, movie. Um, what, this is during the laparotomy on the monkey. Uh, this clamp is on the bile duct. There's a catheter here that's that are put into the main duct. This is the retractor that's holding the belly open so I can see. And uh, this is the monkey's heart and liver here. Um, so I'm gonna show you how we uh, start infusing. This is a, a, virus, a virus and dye solution. And if you watch, here's the tip of the catheter. now it starts to fill, there's the pancreatic duct. And as we keep infusing, keep infusing, keep infusing, you start to see it. it's filling out the pancreas. This is just what, what it should do. It fills out the secondary radicals, tertiary radicals of the, of the pancreatic duct. It really gives a, a good delivery of the virus throughout the whole pancreas. This is actually about three weeks ago, so we're seeing what happens. But um, we've also engineered – we're fiddling with the virus a lot, too. We're engineering um, – uh, we're trying to optimize a glucagon promoter so, so it only hits the uh, alpha cells. I think if this were ever going to be human trials, they would never let us use a CMV promoter. So we just did that because we wanted to shotgun it to hit everything. Um, and then uh, we're also working with uh, uh, the, the uh, different sizes of promoters and uh, how, how to best handle uh, that. Um, OK, so, so I just want to thank people. Um, so, uh, so most of the, so the virus work was uh, Ping and David were the virus people. chios the mouse uh, uh, genetics, Gen- geneticist. Wei uh, Zhao was the is the first author so sort of on this paper. Did a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, uh, surgical work and all the all the most of the most of the mouse uh, manipulations. Um, Yosef here did a lot of the work I showed you related to TJ beta and duct signaling, as well as with John Weirich and uh, John Piganelli, uh is a immunologist who's helped us a lot with uh, what we're doing with this, uh, these NOD mice. And uh, my other friends and collaborators and family. Thank you very much. So, can, can we have
0: the lights turn off, please? Thanks. I'll, I'll start with a question. But, <laughs> well, the second half, like you're saying that the immune system might be naive, but also, couldn't it be that the beta cells that you're, you're trans differentiating are more immature and it just takes them time to basically be yeah. seen by the immune system and that's why you're seeing that yeah eight Yeah. It, the
1: it's there's something funny, though. That, if that were the case I would, yeah. in vitro assay they definitely were they, they were killed fairly quickly by those cells. So.
0: but in vitro you're gonna have a much yeah, more you know, robust. Yeah. and so that's these possible. in vivo if they're taking time to actually start turning or you know, making right. the auto antibodies. And that you know that may be where the RNA RNAC
1: will help us. So, yeah, because Neuro D was down in meth. Well meth A was up. I Neuro mean, D, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Neuro D down, yeah, that's
1: true. So yeah, it definitely could be. It's funny that it takes a long to determine it. But it takes,
0: I mean, for the stem cells to differentiate, it takes a while. Yeah, before, so they've got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I
1: don't know. It's a good question. It's definitely possible. And the RNAC, you know, one thing that's, now that you mentioned it, what we're not doing, probably need to do is, although it's painful, is probably, you know, uh,
0: serial. Yeah. Inexpensive.
2: Yeah. 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 That was my thank oh, you. Hi, you hi, how are you? <laughs> So the question that I have is, do you think there are different types of alpha cells somehow alpha cells is not like one homogeneous alpha cell and there different types of them? Based on the Herrera model, that he basically does some Mascalo can I mean, some of the alpha cell without no intervention become beta cell. But here you have an intervention, you give a virus by using it in a kind of PDX and one and the alpha cells become beta cell. Do you think that it- would it be different
1: some of is easier to become, beta That's, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that way. I don't know how you could prove it, but it's certainly hard to figure out a way to show which ones are the ones that are likely to give rise yeah. to cells or not. But it wouldn't surprise me if there are yeah, I mean, that, um, Our definitions are pretty crude. They're basically just based on the presence of hormones. The reason that I'm saying mm-hmm.
2: that is because when we work, we work with the glucagon receptor, model, we look at that there were different alpha cells. Some alpha cells have PDX expression, and there were still alpha cells so they have the glucose. So, I'm, in my mind, I think there could potentially be a subset of alpha cells, but some of them would become easily mm-hmm. So, of them.
1: some alpha cells had PDX, some didn't.
0: Yeah. So
2: it yeah, is. I mean, it's yeah. You, you might be able to check that though. You have that population that don't
0: convert. Yeah. I mean, there's a sub population that's, that that are more resistant. Right. So, so with our, she's right. So with our RNA seq,
1: we yeah. will actually yeah. have RNA seq of algal cells specifically that didn't convert. Yeah. And ones that did.
2: So,
0: so I think it
2: would be interesting to look at. Yeah. Yeah. What we, we we mean the grant?
0: but have
1: you had a chance to uh, label the cells that are double
0: positive
1: for, for See if they also BRD-positive or not? No, we haven't done that. Um, to see if they're really converted or really, uh, To yeah. see if they're BRD-positive, yeah. Um.
0: You mean in the NOD mass or, in, yeah.
1: I don't know any way to prove that the, they're truly converted cells in the mass. Because you have to have some sort of genetic tag, and you don't have that. Um, I think in the, in the normal mice where we give them diabetes with a Loxan, you know, in the lineage tag, and I think that's clear. Those cells are, those, those are glucon cells, given are beta cells or some positive cells for sure. Um, we have not done BRD labeling in determine the proliferation. We probably should do that, have
2: Yes, my question is about the first part of the talk. Okay. So these duct cells that you see inside the island, is there only becoming beta cells? Do you also see other, be, they becoming other uh, islet cell types? Or do you think... Only you beta cells. Only beta cells. Yeah, yeah.
1: We yeah. look for others. Because once we had that that tag, at least, the, all the cells were labeled by the SOX9, and you could argue, like what Pat was saying, maybe, maybe that Viruses are so metropolis are cells that tend to become beta cells. But are the ones we labeled with the sox sign, we never saw
2: um,
1: turning into other types of cells it's
2: not beta cells? And do you think their the only role is becoming beta cell, or they also provide an inch for generation or something? I don't know. <laughs> right, i not how that.
1: I don't know. No. Okay. Like, I mean, it was just so striking to see that. And uh, there's been so much controversy about ducks giving rise to, to cells that I thought this was a you know this actually was not I think I think that that, that paper basically I think is now mm-hmm. finally about to be accepted in the chronology. We we sent it to high level journals. I don't think you might believe it. I just think they just rejected because they didn't believe it. I don't know what else to say uh, on oh. I, I it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but
0: and the thing is how many did you just see small islets, you just see islets close to
1: the ducks being invaded? because? Well, I mean, the islets tend to be kind of close to the ducks, so that was a hard thing to use. It, it was the larger, tend tended to be the larger islets. Um, yeah, so the rate, I think like, uh, I forget the exact data. I think it was, for islets that were over uh, 100, 150 microns or something, it was much higher, like 60% or 70% had it, and smaller ones <laughs>
0: yeah, cause I, for people that don't know the field, there's a lot of controversy, there's people who think that ducts do become beta cells, and there's a lot of people who say they don't in these different pancreatectomy models, and I think it's because it's, it's rare, and so if you have the conditions right, it does, so that's, I was wondering what the efficiency was, because you yeah. would expect it to be quite rare, right? Or maybe it's hmm. time dependent. Efficiency, the efficiency of what? Of the ducts turning in or invading and turning into. Well, fossils. remember we, we only
1: saw that robust in this weird mouse. Yeah. So the frequency in young animals was, and people don't tend to look at young animals, you know. But the, like so Mike Sander, I mean, I said, Oh what what age do you look at? Is ten weeks? Yeah. We've never found the ten weeks. So at five weeks, forty percent of the 50 in the had had penetration. But again, that's only that whole mouse. It's so easy to yeah. see. If you're looking by section. You never see it, so maybe you have a couple cells, you just never know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Related to this controversy, I was wondering, um, are those um, DBA positive little bit ductal extensions, um, are those also positive for SOX9? Yeah. They are. Yeah, I didn't show okay. it, they're, they're in the PDX block too, which is interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah the PDX box, kind of cool. I should have that slide, I forgot that <laughs> um, but yeah. But I, I would emphasize that the three-dimensional, this, this whole mount technique is really key. You just would never see it otherwise. And then one other question about the second part of your talk, the alpha to beta cell conversion. In the mouse, the ratio of alpha cells to beta cells always use, is always left fewer alpha cells. When you see that conversion of alpha to beta cells, is there an expansion of that population? Uh, she was kind of asking the same question. I, you know, we, the, 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 BRDU, the BRDU positivity is, we did it, and I, I didn't really know. I, I didn't, we had actually did do it. I told them we did do it, but I, I just didn't like the results. I didn't know how to interpret it, so we, we threw it out and put it in the paper. I, I don't. I wouldn't know what to. I don't know what to make of it because it, it could be that they were proliferating and then they converted, or they converted and then proliferated. So I think it always has to be that. If You just look at the number of cells there. Right? But I, I. don't know when that's
2: happening. <laughs> Question. Uh, what, I was wondering. Was great question, I have no idea. I think everyone wants to know that. Yeah, I can That's all I'm saying, but in 3 I don't see Right, right.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. But, but it goes back to this question about, you know, this controversy. A lot of this controversy about whether Duxley provides the islets is because of these different results with different transgenics. And they're all ERT. They're all tamoxifen-based. So, and that's, I think, where some of the trouble comes in. And also, I... Susan bonner Weir, and, I, and I both think that there's probably a subpopulation of duct cells um, that are the ones that have this ten- ability to do this. And that there may be some, maybe they, those express nine at a lower level or something like that. And the way CRE-ERT works is a little finicky. Um, there's a lot of variables in whether or not the CRE-recominus acts or not. One is, um, you know, what, what, what is your... What, what is your level of pre being produced by promoters? The strength of the promoter is important. So if you use Sox 9 it's not a strong promoter. And then what dose of tamoxifen are you giving? What's the you know the, the dosing regimen? All these things come into play. And then the other thing that's very important is how long is your flock sequence? And depending on what, what reporter mouse you're using, it may be very long. Some of these some like the old Zap mice. You know, those are really long. And the MTMG mouse, they have long flock sequences because there's an actual conversion from one, like in the case of MTMG, is from tomato, we turn from tomato red to tomato green. Well, you've got to have that whole tomato red sequence removed. So the length of that is very important. And, and all these things, I think, are creating variability. And the other thing is that in the, the papers where they did not see conversion of duct cells into islets, they never did this whole amount analysis. It was always just, just histologic sections and taking, you know, counting numbers. And I just don't think that's a very... It's not a very sensitive way to do it.
0: Any other questions? Thanks,
1: George.